Hello and welcome to The Lowdown, an insider's look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us today on WOMR 92.1 FM, Provincetown WFMR, 91.3 FM, Orleans, and streaming worldwide on WOMR.org. No matter where you stand on the topic of immigration, I'm assuming most listeners would want newcomers to our country to be morally upstanding people whose records remain completely clean and free of legal troubles, because that would seem the best indicator of who might make a good citizen. I have to wonder if all my own immigrant ancestors could pass that test. Today, many thousands of people who migrate to the United States from countries that our politicians deem non-white and thus undesirable are labeled as lawbreakers simply by crossing our borders, seeking asylum and a safe place to make a home. Once here, they're cast as criminal aliens for any variety of crimes, from murder to tax fraud, targeted by our immigration customs enforcement superstructure who are often working with local police, and then subjected not only to our criminal justice system, but federal immigration law, whose goal is often deportation. My guest is Cesar Cuauhtémoc Garcia Hernandez, a professor of civil rights and civil liberties at Ohio State University. He's a nationally recognized legal expert who writes and teaches about the intersection of criminal and immigration law. Today we'll be talking about his new book, Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. Professor Garcia Hernandez, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you, Ira. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'd like to start with a story that really illustrates the plight of many migrants. Your book gives us some very moving portraits of people getting caught up in the entwined criminal law and immigration legal systems. Someone who serves their criminal time only to face the immigration pipeline nightmare. Would you tell us about Sandra Castaneda? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Sandra is uh, someone who I, I spoke to when I was trying to understand, get a better sense of the way that the the heavy reliance um, that U.S. immigration has, uh, immigration law has on on encounters with the criminal legal system has on, on ordinary people. And so this is somebody who has, who, who who was born um, just south of the U.S. border in Mexicali, which is a border community. Um, that uh, abuts actually Calexico. And these are just to give you a sense of the interdependence of these communities. You know, the the names of the two cities are inverted versions um, of, of of each other. Uh, Mexicali and uh, as, uh, and starts with Mexico and then California and then and on the other side, the U.S. side is is Calexico, which of course starts with California and ends with uh, Mexico. So she's she's born in in Mexicali, um, but but. Really is is raised in in California. She she comes to the United States. She's brought to the United States by uh, as as a as a child, um, and um, eventually you know winds up um, in L.A. Uh, um, uh, doing as many uh, young people do. Um, you know she she makes some mistakes. Um, she 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 gets involved with a group of friends who who are involved in some some gang activity. Um, and one day, as uh, she's driving uh, some some of her friends um, around LA, um, this is this is 2002 now. 
Yes, one of her, one of the the, the kids and the, the people in her her car pulls out a gun and shoots at um, some rival gang members that they saw. Now, now they've never any evidence that uh, Sandra shot anyone or shot at anyone. There's never any evidence that um, she even knew uh, that one of the the people who she was she was driving around um, had a gun, um, and and yet. Um, she was convicted of serious crimes. She was convicted of, um, of of murder, and she was convicted of attempted murder. And she was actually sentenced to forty years to life in a California state prison. Uh, and and all, all despite the fact that there's never even a suggestion that she was the one who aimed the gun. She was the one that pulled pulled the trigger, or even as I said, knew that there was one a gun in in the vehicle. And so she she spent some time in 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 many years in the state uh, prison system, um, and finally uh, years later, um, she's she's able to um, to to work with some lawyers to uh, who who realize that the law in California has has changed, um, and this idea that people could be convicted of something as serious, a crime as, as serious as murder, despite the fact that there's absolutely nothing indicated that indicating that they actually killed somebody. Um, this is an old, this was an old uh, legal doctrine. Um, it stretches back to, to um, the, the British legal system um, that the United States, of course, inherited um, in uh, when 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 we were part of the UK, and um, and it's called felony murder. And in more recent uh, uh, days, in more recent years, it's really been a, a push to say, look, you know, if if you, it's one thing to do something that actually kills a person; it's another thing to just sort of be around. Um, and 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 when somebody um, is is killed. And that's sort of the, the latter categories would describe Sandra, um, and and so the California State Legislature, like other legislatures um, around the time, this is around 2017 or so, um, you know, decides you know, we're going to actually get rid of this felony murder. We still have murder on the books and attempted murder on the books, but this idea that if you're committing, you know, you're, you're doing something um, in the vicinity of of somebody's death, somebody's murder. You know that's good enough to 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 convict you of murder. Uh, that just doesn't sit right with with us. Uh, and so the California legislature um, uh, abolished that that crime, and at the same time made it possible so that people who had been convicted of that kind of crime to to um, uh, to erase those old convictions. It's what lawyers call vacating that conviction, and so. Sandra is fortunate to to hook up with some lawyers who realize that this law has changed and they can help her, and so she's able to undo this murder conviction, and um and she's hopeful that that means going back to home in L.A., um and that's when she says the shock sets in because just as she's getting ready to to head back to her family in L.A she realizes that ICE is waiting for her, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency um, that says, you know what, you were convicted. And as far as we're concerned, you are still convicted of murder and we are going to uh, take you into an immigration prison. 
um, and we're gonna try to deport you, despite the fact that the state legislature has weighed in on your behalf, despite the fact that a judge has weighed in on your behalf. And most um, shockingly of all, the governor, in fact, the governor of California um, actually uh, uh, weighed in on, on, on Sandra's behalf as, as well um, uh, because, because of the, the way that she had uh, 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 behaved in, uh, while she was in the, in the California prison system. Um, uh, the California governor had described her as a productive citizen, right? Um, so somebody clearly who the highest you know, uh, official in California government saying this is somebody who we welcome into our in, into our into our neighborhoods and into our communities um and and yet for ice you know what matters is that she had once been convicted despite the fact that that conviction had not been legally erased um they were still interested in uh, uh imprisoning her uh and and trying to uh deport her um and and she's still uh, to this day trying to fight off that that deportation with the help of some some lawyers in in california and uh, so that's a story that still doesn't have an end in the book you write that contrary to what we imagine today migration to this country wasn't always criminalized so how did the criminalization of people coming over our borders start yeah it really it, it shocks people to to, to realize that um, for for quite a long time, for most of the history of of, of the United States, um, you know, we haven't really uh, worried um, too much about uh, people coming into the United States or the means that they come into the United States. Um, but but in this pivotal moment in the early part of the 20th century, there's a whole lot of of resistance to the changing uh, nature of migration. Um, and, and that we, this is not, this is not a, 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 an ancient story because we see present day versions of this, but, but about a hundred years ago, the, the newcomers were folks from Southern and Eastern Europe. And so in the early twenties, Congress enacts a couple of laws um, that really clamp down on the number of Southern and Eastern Europeans who can come to the United States uh, legally? I'm um, targeting folks from places like, uh, like, like Italy, um, uh, places from from uh, other parts of of, of, of Central, uh, of, sorry, of Eastern Europe and Southern Southern Europe, Greece, um, as well. And 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 then those same politicians and the same political movements that are really trying to stop folks from from coming from those countries and really prioritizing migration from Northern and Western Europe. Um, they also want to target uh, the, the migrants who are coming from Latin America. And, and in that point, we're really talking about Mexicans specifically. And they are unable be, to, to muster the votes. They try and they try again, but the reality is that the politics are not in their favor because there are business interests that are far too powerful um, to, to allow them to, to get the votes um, necessary to push through a sort of a crackdown on Mexican migration in the same way that they had been against uh, the Southern and Eastern Europeans. And that's because agribusiness in the Southwest in particular is simply too strong um, politically. And they want to, to continue relying on uh, seasonal migrant labor, uh, Mexican migrant labor to, to do all of the, the heavy lifting of uh, planting and picking 
uh, crops and getting them ready for 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 the market. Um, and so in the late 1920s, this is still very much um, a frustration of the anti-migrant uh, faction of, of Congress and their political allies outside of Congress. When a South Carolina senator, uh, a politician named, named Coleman Bleese is elected to the to the Senate. And, and Bleese is this, I, I, I think of him as, as sort of a white supremacist, white supremacist. This is a guy who, when he was governor of South, South Carolina, was so adamantly enthusiastic about lynching that other Southern governors actually asked them to tone it down. Like he was making it harder for them to defend the lynchers because he was just so such an extremist about about the, the benefits of lynching and the the value of of lynching and how it should be legally protected, um, and and so he gets to Congress nonetheless, or actually because partly because of his his position on lynching, and he teams up with these anti-immigrant uh, politicians who are already there, um, and and they they devise a plan by which they're going to target Mexicans but not by saying you just cannot enter in the way that they had done with the European, Southern and Eastern Europeans. Instead, they're gonna say, look, fine if you come, but if you do it without the federal government's permission, we're gonna make that a crime and we're gonna punish you. And then we're gonna say, we're not gonna deport people because they're Mexican, we're gonna deport criminals, right? And so they invented the crime of entering the United States without the government's permission and they enact that into law in 1929. That law is very much still on the books today, uh, uh, almost a century a century later uh, in, in just about the same form. And in recent years under Republican and Democratic presidents, um, uh, illegal entry and its, and its uh, cousin, what's called illegal re-entry, which is coming into the United States without the government's permission after having previously been deported, those two crimes have been in the top three of the most uh, commonly prosecuted uh, crimes across the entire federal court system uh, nationwide, not just near the Southwest, but overall um, uh, uh, along the, the entire country. Let me tell people who we are. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about how migrants get hopelessly caught up in the intersection between the immigration and criminal justice system. My guest is law professor Cesar Cuatamo Garcia Hernandez. His new book is Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. You write that Migrants violate immigration law by sneaking into the United States clandestinely because there isn't a better way. I mean, you make the point in the book that if they were give, they would gl- they would gladly follow the law. So, what's going on? How could it be easier for them? Yeah, and we see that people follow the law all the time, every single day. There are people uh, coming into the United States entirely lawfully, but. Um, but, but by and large, if, if you are poor or if you do not have a high degree of um, formal education, um, then, then the pathways, the lawful pathways into the United States um, are, are few and far between. And when they exist, they are effectively um, not real alternatives because for some folks, you know, those lawful pathways means they have, meet, they have to wait around 
for as much as a couple of decades, 15, 20 years, um, while their petitions, their applications are just they're sitting around and uh, government files waiting for their number to get called up. And any, any, any long line that um, is that long is, is, is in my view, you know, not a, not a, a realistic, there, there should be no realistic expectation that, 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 that many people are going to sit around waiting, you know, while their lives move on um, and, and they're trying to reunite with family or, or, or get to uh, communities where, you know, they will be, they will be uh, welcomed by the folks who are there as well as by the employers who are already there. And so what I, I propose is that we, 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 we reverse course or, or take, turn, turn away from this course that we've been on for the last few decades in which politicians seem incapable of imagining a way of regulating migration um, without turning to more border patrol agents, more immigration and customs enforcement agents, more immigration prison beds, more money for advanced surveillance technologies, as if we could buy our way out of people wanting to come to the United States, where we know that in every community, large and small, it's possible for people to find work. Um, and in communities around the United States, there are folks who are welcoming individual newcomers because sometimes they're siblings, sometimes they're spouses, they're friends or other relatives. Um, and so you know, we have to remember that migrants aren't picking the United States at random as if they blindfolded themselves and threw a dart at the map of the of, of the world and it happened to land on the United States of America. Migrants are coming to the US because there are long-standing relationships between communities in the United States and communities around the world, in particular in Latin America and Asia and increasingly so. Uh, to the Caribbean and various countries in, in Africa. And so folks are coming here be, quite often because they have personal ties to people who are here or because there are already um, migrants net, migration networks uh, that link communities here to communities there, wherever those communities ought to be. And so if we continue on this sort of enforcement-focused uh, uh, approach um, in which we attempt to buy our way out of people coming to the United States, all that we're going to end up seeing is more of what we already see, which is that it becomes more difficult to get into the United States. And as a result, it becomes more expensive to get into the United States, which means that it becomes more profitable for unscrupulous people, including smugglers, um, uh, to get um, uh, invested in the migration um, uh, industry. Um, and as a result, it becomes more dangerous for the individual migrants. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we've seen over the last uh, many years. And, and my fear is that if we continue along that path, we're going to see more of that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood and WOMR. Today, we're talking about how migrants get caught up in the intersection between immigration and criminal justice. My guest is law professor Cesar Cuatomo. Cuatemo Garcia Hernandez. His new book is Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal in in defense sorry, in defense of the criminal alien. Um 
Opportunistic politicians make easy use of migrants, claiming that migrant communities are full of crime. You tell us that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we see this uh, uh, over the course of several generations, in fact, that politicians regularly tap the sphere of migrant criminality as a kind of a calling card to woo their their supporters, always pointing blame at migrants, pointing blame at newcomers. Um, and, and, and newcomers often sound different from the folks who are there. They speak a different language. They may look different than the folks who are already there. And so this is a, this is a very attractive um, uh, a reprisal that that we see stretching a gener- well many generations into into the past, or at least as far as the as the um, late nineteenth century. But really, we can we could we could uh, uh, stretch it further further back than than that as well. And the reality is that there's never been any sound empirical evidence to suggest that migrants bring crime. Of course, migrants are not perfect, so there will always be my, uh, crime in any uh, large large community. Uh, but but for uh, well over a century now, um, uh, uh, the data uh, shows that migrants actually commit less crime than those of us who are born in the United States. And this shouldn't really be all that much of a surprise because in order to come to the United States, in order to remove yourself from the community that you know, to, to, to decide to leave the people who, who are closest to you, you have to have an impressive amount of gumption, an impressive amount of, of initiative. And of course, you're coming here, you're coming wherever, wherever new place you're, you're, you're heading um, for the goal of starting a new life. Um, and, and quite often starting that um, with a very meager amount of, of, of resources. And so we, we see that you know, the folks who tend to come to the United States, yes, they may be young and in that part of all of our lives in which we quite often make some mistakes. Um, but, but, but the reality is that because migrants um, are so focused uh, on really uh, starting that new life that they're dreaming of and that it has been the, the reason to dislodge themselves from the, the communities that they know, um, they, they, they quite often actually make communities safe. I mean, that doesn't mean that the communities sound the same as they used to or look the same as they used to. They most often won't, um, but there is less crime in those places. And, you know, we see, we, see, we, we, can, we can go back to, to, to studies done at the beginning of the 20th century that were focused on those, those the Italian immigrants and those Greek immigrants. And we can then fast forward to the present day and, you know, look at, Look at uh, uh, communities um, that are coming from Latin America or coming from the Caribbean, um, and almost without exception, you know, we see that that crime is actually lower among the folks who come to the United States than it is among those of us who are born in the United States. And that's something that is very convenient for politicians to overlook, um, largely because it works. It works time and time again. The great one of the great stories in the book, and I want to ask this because this is primarily a music radio station, and and people may know these two artists, is the treatment that is completely different between two music stars. Um, and there seems no better example of unequal legality than the difference between the ways that ICE looked at the cases of singer Justin Bieber and rapper 21 Savage. Would you explain? 
Yes, Justin Bieber and 21 Savage are both well-known musicians. Extremely successful in their in their own genres. Um, but they're also both um, not US citizens. Uh, you know, Justin Bieber is Canadian. Uh, 21 Savage is uh, actually from, from the UK. Um, and they both come to the United States. But one, there's, there's some key differences. One, that Justin Bieber, his criminality, his criminal antics are all over the place on the internet. Um, you, you can see him uh, drag racing through the streets of Miami. You can read about him getting convicted in Canada because he, he had his, his, his bodyguards attack um, uh, um, somebody who was annoying him, um, but not just, not just with their fists, with an ATV, an all-terrain vehicle. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's avoided, he's just ignored or judicial orders in, in, in Argentina and, um, and all of these, whether they, 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 they occur in the United States or not, as far as immigration law is concerned, um, uh, these are all equally problematic um, for somebody who's not a U.S. citizen. Uh, just a few years ago, there was a cover story on GQ magazine, GQ magazine, in which he says um, that for many years, he was using drugs so heavily that his, his assistants, his staff, his bodyguards got used to checking on him at night to make sure he was breathing right and all of this is criminal activity in the united states and all of it is enough to get people in pro into problems with immigration authorities they can land them in immigration prison and get them deported even if it does not result in a conviction right and yet justin ice has never um uh, rounded up uh, uh, Justin Bieber. They've never detained him and they've, they've never tried to keep him out of the United States. Meanwhile, 21 Savage, he actually doesn't have, does not have a, a, a conviction on his on his record. He sings a lot about violence, but there's no indication that he actually engages in, in, in violence. Um, he sings about gang life, but there's no evidence that he's a member of a gang. Um, and those are important distinctions, uh, to be sure. Uh, and, and yet, um, a few years ago, he went on the, he went on the Tonight Show. And this is in the Trump years and Trump's family separation policy was in effect where they were taking kids away from their parents. And so he goes on the Tonight Show and he, he turns, he, he rewrites one of his more famous songs to criticize. The Trump administration, and a few weeks later, Ice waits for him outside of a nightclub where he's watching another performer, and they they stop him as he's leaving. They arrest him and they and take him down to an immigration prison in Georgia, and they try to deport him. But what they don't count on is the fact that he's a celebrity among the folks who work at that prison because he's this young man uh, who. Uh, is visible all over the place in the hip hop scene, especially centered in Atlanta. He's got this dagger tattooed onto his forehead, um, and so the guards who work they, there, they all know who who he is immediately. And so the news breaks um, that he's detained there, and he he's able to partner with this really good lawyer who gets him out there. But it takes years to successfully fend off ISIS deportation claim. The thing that's the most fundamentally different between Justin Bieber and, and 21 Savage is that, of course, Justin Bieber is white and 21 Savage is black. And 21 Savage, um, uh, yeah, he had a problem with the police years ago, but 
actually that conviction there's no conviction on his record it was went through the legal process and 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 it's been erased from his from his record and meanwhile justin bieber is admitting on a regular basis even recently about his criminal activity and so the white uh uh, uh migrant um, justin bieber right gets to gets to share and uh news of his of his illegality without consequence and the black migrant 21 savage doesn't even have a conviction on his record doesn't even have problems with the police on his record um and yet he finds himself inside of an immigration prison um and then uh, having to 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 fend off um the government's deportation attempt for, for for many years and and to be clear yeah, he he came at with with the government's permission as a, as a child. His father had a visa to, to work in the U.S., and eventually that permission ended. Um, and and just and twenty one thousand rather, you know, continued le- living here. Um, so so yes, that he he was in a in a in a in a perilous immigration law position, but not because of any criminal activity. <laughs> um, simply because he'd come to the U.S. as a child, and after his family's permission to stay expired his mother decided that life here was better than life there and so they stay on we're gonna have to end it the book is a marvelous look at immigration today and immigration in the past Uh, my guest today has been law press law professor cesar quetam man i am so sorry to mess up your name but it's (laughs) right quetamo cesar Cuatemo Garcia Hernandez. I want to thank Matty Dunn for his tech work on the show. Welcome to The Wretched has just been published by The New Press. This is Ira Wood with the lowdown on the American immigration system and the way it destroys lives. One interview at a time. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.